0: difficult job you know it's just turning those pages okay? all right well then we're going to look at the book of revelation and uh, we're in uh, actually today we're going to finish up the message that we started last week on Laodicea and then summarize if you will the, uh, the the letter to the seven churches in the first chapter in the book of uh, revelation so let's Let's take a look here and begin, first of all, chapter 3, and the beginning at verse 14. And unto the the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray again, please. Father in heaven, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, illuminate our understanding, enable us to understand. Lord, we thank you for your holy word that teaches us about you, that teaches us how we ought to live. that teaches us (coughs) about the mission that you have the desire in your heart to save all people. The mission of the church one with your mission to reach lost people with the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to find hope in him to find forgiveness, to find healing, to find the true purpose of life, to glorify you, to exalt you, to love you, to adore you, to worship. Father, as we study your word today, we pray that you will speak to us and to all who are listening, that they will come to know you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. And so I uh, will quickly uh, go over the few points that we uh, looked at last week. You know that all of these churches, including uh, Laodicea, are located in what was referred to back then as Asia Minor on the, on the western uh, coast, basically, of, of the modern country of Turkey. And so as you start down in Ephesus and you, you move in a northerly direction, it takes a little loop in this road and comes down where these seven churches uh, were located. And Laodicea is the last one on that little journey. And uh, it it was a commercial trade center and it, it produced this ISAP. And notice how the Lord, the Lord uses that in this, this rebuke of, of Laodicea, and we talked about that last week. They were spiritually blind, and so he uses this this idea of the eye to buy from him the eye that will actually open up their their eyes or their sight or give them spiritual insight. The church was established in the uh, first century, and the congregation was made up of of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, and we've said uh, many times that uh, so many people, are unaware that the, the, the infant church, the, the churches of the first century were made up primarily of Jewish believers. And then the message was also taken to the Gentiles and the Gentiles came to know Christ as savior. And so you have these, these churches all throughout Asia Minor as well as into Europe that are made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Now it had a reputation of being rich, you know, they were well off, they were well off, they had it all, but Jesus said they didn't know, but that they were wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked, oh what a condition to be in, and this is what he said, he he spoke of himself as the Amen, Jesus is the Amen, and Amen means so be it, or let it be done. In other words, he is the final word. He is the living word of God, and he is the final word. He's faithful, and we looked at that in, over in Hebrews, that Jesus was faithful even to the point of going to the cross. Here he was innocent, yet he gave his life. He allowed himself to be beaten, to be spit upon, to be punched, and crucified. The faithful witness, the true witness, Pilate asked the question, "What is truth?" He didn't realize truth was standing right in front of him, because Jesus is the truth. And he gave that faithful witness, and then we explain this beginning of the creation of God. The, the The cults, the cults like to like to quote passages like this to say that Jesus was created. No, no, Jesus is God, the Son where we talk and speak of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God has revealed himself in three distinct persons. Now, we've we've said this as well. It is impossible for human beings to fully understand God in his totality. That's an impossibility. God God is far greater than we can even imagine. The Bible says... Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or even think, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen? Amen. God is beyond finding out. But in his grace and in his love, he's made it possible for us to know him. That is to come into a a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. With him because he loves us. As we mentioned in our Sunday school class, even in all of our unlovableness, God loves us anyway because it is his nature to love. To love. And uh, I forget who, who sang that song. Uh, maybe it was Dionne Warwick. I and mean, what the world needs now is love. Love, right? No, not just for some, but for everyone. God loves all. <laughs> But sadly, that's another, that's, I think it's a country song, looking for love in all the wrong places or something, <laughs> right? That's what that's what people do. They look for love in, in all the wrong places instead of looking to God who is love. Amen. But Jesus is the creator, the one through whom the Father created the world together with God the Holy Spirit. Because God although he has revealed himself in three distinct persons. He's one. So he works both in unison and in harmony. Those are musical terms. And God brought this world into existence, and he brought you and me and everyone who lives upon the face of the earth into existence. And he, he goes on and he, and he, he tells The Christians there in Laodicea, I know your works, you're lukewarm. They become apathetic. They had become indifferent, neither cold nor hot. Jesus said the better condition is to be either cold or hot, not lukewarm, not apathetic. He said, you make me sick. You give me a stomachache is what he's saying. I want to vomit you out of my mouth because you say I'm rich and need nothing. Self-sufficient. You know, that's a a real popular philosophy, especially in the U.S., right? To be self-sufficient and independent. The truly mature person realizes that they're interdependent. You see, when we're first born, we're dependent upon our parents. So we're dependent upon them. But it's, it doesn't take long for the little baby to grow into a little toddler and wants to be independent, yes? And uh, throws the tantrums and, and you name it, all that stuff. And then when they become teenagers, they really think they're independent. Mom, you don't understand me. Or Dad, you don't understand me they think that you've been old all the time they don't realize that you were a child once (laughs) ah this independence but then the wise person comes to realize that we are interdependent we need one another and quickly how many of you stitched your own clothes today or stitch the clothes that you're wearing. In other words, you were the one who actually, you made your clothes, you see? Or how about your shoes? Any shoe cobblers in here? Or how about even your glasses? Any of you make your own glasses? You follow? We're interdependent, we need one another, we need others, you see? We, We need one another. They had become self-sufficient. And Jesus said they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, oh my. Well, moving on here. He says, I counsel you to buy from me, to buy from him, to receive from him. Of course, Jesus is the one who paid the price, right? Gold refined in the fire. He says, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And then you remember the, the rich the rich farmer? He's called the rich fool in the Bible. He was so successful. He had bumper crop after bumper crop. Man, he said, Oh, I'm gonna have to build another barn. I don't have enough. You know, I need more silos because I've been so blessed. And the Lord said, Fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And whose will all those things become? Hmm. They had become self-sufficient. He says, Buy for me white garments, the righteousness of Christ. And you know the, the story of the prodigal son who had gone off and he and he wasted everything. And he came back to his father. And he had that, that speech all rehearsed. But the father saw him and he, and he ran to him. And the father, in the, prodigal, uh, the, the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, the father represents God the father. God who is, who is so humble. Our God is humble. You see, in that age of time, it, an elderly man would not run. It was considered undignified and yet he saw his son coming from afar off and he ran to him and he he embraced him and he and he kissed him and he said bring a robe and put it on him. a ring on his finger and shoes sandals for his feet for this my son was lost but is found that robe represents the righteousness of Christ. When we come to know Jesus as our Savior, God, God comes to live and dwell within us in, in God the Holy Spirit. And he, he envelops us, our life, with the righteousness of Christ so that when the Father looks upon us, he sees us through the righteousness of his Son, Jesus Christ. And I and we, we mentioned that, spiritual discernment. The Bible says the unbeliever wrestles with the scripture because the things of God are spiritually discerned. God the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to understand. He says, be zealous and repent. To be zealous, to be hot, to be on fire for God. There are so many people who live their Christian life in such an apathetic way. Oh man, with, you might see them out on the golf course. Oh, they're full of laughs. They're having a great time, especially if they're if they're making their shots. They're having a party. Oh, and then when it comes to church, you know they're. Kind of well, I've got a little ache here. And then, well, well, I can't do so much. Well, it was kind of hard for me to get up this morning. Yeah, well, when you get to this age, it's hard to get up. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. Sometimes it's even hard to lay down. (laughs) But some people, that's how they live their, their Christian life. And yet the Spirit of God is able to ignite a fire. A fire. He says, repent, that is, change your mind. Change your heart attitude. And now we move on to the portion that we, we hadn't gotten to last week. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now this verse is often used um, from an evangelistic perspective. But notice that in this letter, this letter is to a church. And it's the saddest picture that can be portrayed. A church with a door that's closed and Jesus is on the outside. You hear that? He's knocking on the door of the church. He's on the outside. We have lots of churches like that today and throughout history there have been many churches like that oh boy you think you're going to a fashion show you go to that church it's so beautiful on the inside you know there's a church somewhere in texas if i'm not mistaken that in the foyer they have an aquarium they have an aquarium and And this aquarium, I don't remember if it was one million or 10 million, some astronomical figure that that thing cost. We have churches all over the United States that so much money is poured into the building. Guess what? The building is not the church. The Greek word is ekklesia. Ecclesia, and it means called out ones. Called out. We are called out from among the world, if you will. We are separated or set apart for the service of the Lord. The church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is made up of the people of Christ. Amen? Amen. We are the church, not the building. The building's a building but so much money is is put into buildings behold i stand at the door and I knock now notice he says if anyone hears my voice so so not only is the letter written to the church but it's also written to us as individuals i stand at the door of your heart knocking Now, if anyone hears my voice, that means listens, right? Listens with the the ears of the spirit of the soul and accepts. Because it's one thing to hear. It's another thing to accept it, to internalize it, to take it in, to embrace it. Is the word of God welcome in your life or is the word of God a stranger? You follow? Is the Word of God at home in your life? Or is the Word of God a foreign? He says, opens the door. So you you hear, you accept, and then open the door. That's submission and obedience. And we, we talked about that in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Remember over in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis... You have Cain and Abel, the two sons, of um, Adam and Eve. And they brought offerings to God. One was accepted, the other was rejected. Abel's heart was right with the Lord. Cain's heart was not right with the Lord. God wants our hearts to be right with Him. Submission and obedience. To submit and to obey. We, we sing that hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now notice what he says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, they listen, accept. If you submit and obey, we'll have fellowship. He says, I'll come in and die with them and they with me. Fellowship. He's referring to fellowship. The word is koinonia. We'll have this, this sweet relationship. Isn't it amazing that God, the God of all creation, desires to have a relationship with us? Now let that sink in. God knows you. He knows us. Each one of us, name. And do you know that in all the world there is no one like you. You are unique. And God has gifted you. He's gifted you in so many different ways. And He loves you. And again, to remind you, God's love is perfect. Perfect. If you hear anything today Hear this, learn this, know this. God's love for you is perfect. There is nothing that you can do that will cause him to love you any more than he loves you now. Because his love is perfect. And there is nothing that you can do that will cause him to love you less than he loves you now. Because his love for you is perfect. And his love for you is not based upon your worthiness or your goodness. His love for you is based upon his nature, and it is his nature to love. The Bible says, let us love one another, beloved, because God is love. It is his nature to love. He loves the saved person, and he loves the lost person. But tragically, the lost person, if they don't, come to accept Christ as their savior, when they die, they will spend eternity in hell. Jesus came and died upon that cross so so that all people could come to know him and know the love of God and experience the love and the blessing of God. Not only in eternity, but here and now, we get to experience heaven on earth. God, speaks to us through his holy word to his glory to his honor to teach us what the real purpose of life is to love him to worship him and to enjoy him forever to know him to have fellowship with him a relationship and notice a reward is also given he says that he's going to give us a throne now there is a time coming when when the Lord Jesus returns, and we've talked about this, when the rapture occurs, and the Church of Philadelphia is going to escape that tribulation period, and is going to be caught up at the rapture, taken out of the world, or it is taken out of the earth, and then after a period of time, and the the last seven years comes upon the earth the time referred to as jacob's trouble this is where things changed. when you're reading the bible never make the mistake of thinking you know there there's this this doctrine out there called replacement theology that the church replaces israel that is not correct the church does not replace israel god is not done with israel god is going to fulfill his promises to israel But the church is going to be taken out of the world, and when that occurs, things change, and the emphasis now goes back to Israel. And in that seven-year period, there is going to be tremendous upheaval upon this earth, among nations. And in the end, the end of that seven-year period, the nations of the world are going to come against Israel But the Lord himself is going to descend, and he is going to destroy those nations. And he is going to establish his millennial kingdom, millennial from mill for 1,000 years. Now, there are people out there that they say, well, that's that's just all symbolic. We don't really believe that that's going to happen. Well, I'm not one of those. I believe that the Bible means what it says. And you read that he's going to establish a millennial kingdom so what does that mean it means that he's going to establish a millennial kingdom and then he says that we're going to rule together with him for a thousand years and at the end of that thousand year period again because there will be people who are unbelievers living in that time as well and they're going to come up against the lord They're gonna come up against him right there. Here he is, everyone on the face of the earth knows then who he is, that he is the Lord. His throne, the Messiah's throne is in Jerusalem, and yet the world is going to come up against him in an effort to destroy him. And then the Bible says that fire is going to fall from heaven and destroy him. That's what is coming. Now when, only God knows when that's going to happen. But the promise here is that we're going to dwell and live with Him forever, amen? Amen. We're We're going to serve and rule together with Him on the earth for a thousand years, and then when that thousand year period comes to an end, we enter into eternity. Tremendous, tremendous promise of the Lord. So. What do we learn from the first three chapters in the book of Revelation? And I would encourage you to go back and to read through, to read through those three chapters again. We see here from Laodicea, what we read here. They became self-sufficient. But going all the way back, first, the Lord Jesus Christ is completely knowledgeable of the condition of each church and individual within each church. So I ask the question when was the last time you had a checkup? That is a spiritual checkup. When was the last time? Let that sink in. Because we ought to be analyzing and evaluating our relationship with the Lord. If not every year, than every month. If not every month, then every week. (laughs) If not every week, every day. Secondly, in some cases, churches, denominations, as well as individuals have left their first, that is their primary love. What did Jesus say? He said, "If if you love your mother and your father more than you love me, you're not worthy. And did he say you shouldn't love your mother or father? No. The first commandment with promise is, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth that the Lord your God giveth you. Right? We're to to honor them. We're to love them. But the love that we have for God is to be supreme. God is supreme. They left their primary love. That's Ephesus. The message to Ephesus in the first chapter they need to repent again to change the mind in this world in which we live there's so many distractions so many distractions I saw this this picture the other day and these people were in heaven you know they were on the clouds right all surrounded by clouds and so then there were there were there were two people just a ways away from from these two new arrivals And so the two that had been there for a while, they said, these new arrivals, they they don't know how to communicate. Because they were standing there like this. The idea was they didn't know what to do because they didn't have a telephone down to look at. (laughs) Right? So they were standing there like this, mesmerizing. Isn't that a sad picture? So many distractions, so many distractions, so much going on and people living in fear. And then suffering, suffering, Smyrna, the suffering church. Suffering's a part of the Christian life. And anyone who tells you that when you become a Christian, (coughs) that all your suffering, all your problems are over, they're not telling you the truth. Oh my goodness when you become a christian suffering and pain and problem and difficulties and challenges and all that are going to mount up and people that you thought really loved you or really cared about you or were really interested in you are actually going to turn away from you especially if they're not christian they're going to become upset with you they're going to become impatient with you and in time They will just leave you alone but yet we're to faithfully serve to endure to serve and overcome and we overcome through the blood of the lamb and we sang that hymn there's power in the blood or have you been to jesus right are you washed in the blood of the lamb and so many denominations will not sing hymns that have anything to do with the blood, you cannot be saved apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. And as as we read in that responsive reading, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross, the cross, the cross. There is no salvation apart from the cross. the message is that Jesus died on that cross. He died. He didn't swoon. You know, there are people who talk about him swooning. Oh, he just went into this, you know, uh, this state of unconsciousness. But because he was totally enlightened, that's what the, the Hindus say, because he was totally enlightened, he didn't feel any pain. Yeah. Let somebody put a nail or a spike in your hand and hit it with a hammer and see if you feel any pain. He died on that cross, he was buried, and he rose up on the third day. Some churches and denominations, as well as individuals, compromise their doctrinal beliefs and teachings with what the world believes and teaches. We're not to compromise. We're not to compromise. And here's something else. We are not to be tolerant of evil. All this talk about tolerance. No, we are not to be tolerant of evil. The Bible says we, as God's children, are to hate evil. God hates evil. And we are to hate it as well. We are to hate, to shun, to reject what our Father hates, shuns, and rejects. We are to embrace what He embraces. We are to stand for what He stands for not for what is popular we are not to compromise we are to call it what it is Pergamus, pergamos had become a compromised church moving on the mission of the church is to exalt the lord jesus christ by leading lost people to him and teaching them his word his way his truth and his life spiritual growth discipline Or discipleship rather. The church is not to become one with the world and its priorities. See that happened to Thyatira, that church. Thyatira. False doctrine. Jezebel. Allowing Jezebel. Preaching false doctrine. So many churches preaching false doctrine. Name it and claim it. Jesus didn't die on that cross for you to become a billionaire. Now if it's God's desire for you to be a billionaire, you're gonna be one. But that's not the reason that he died on the cross. He died on the cross because we're sinners and we need to be saved. Because God has a plan for our lives and he wants us to live forever together with him. He didn't die on the cross so that you could have the fanciest car or have the prettiest house or live in the best neighborhood or whatever. He died on that cross to bring the gift of salvation. That's the message that we need to preach continuously. They said, Noah, you're crazy. He's a crazy old man. He was out there preaching. Gonna rain, gonna flood, building a boat out in the middle of the, of the, the wilderness. Oh, but then... The animals came at the direction of the Lord. They went into the ark. Noah and his family went into the ark, and God shut the door. And the rains came, didn't they? Many churches have closed their doors or sit empty. The saddest condition is a church that is well-attended and yet is dead. There are many churches like this. Denomination spiritual life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sardis, Jesus said, they were dead. They had a right. They had a reputation that they were alive, but they were dead. Dead. I learned a few weeks ago, said that a church where I had accepted uh, the surrendered to full-time Christian service and knew many others that had surrendered in the church that had started all kinds of missions right here in in southern Nevada had been taken over by another church but that church didn't take it over for it to to be a church they took it over so that they could sell it which they did, they sold it for $2.4 million now of course they took that money into their budget And now, it's my understanding that there's a Buddhist group meeting in that church. When I mentioned that to, and some of you met my friend Earl, when I mentioned that to him because we served there as deacons, he couldn't believe it. I I couldn't believe it. I I thought to myself, how in the world does that happen? But it happens. You know, we had a church downtown, First Baptist Church of Las Vegas. Downtown, Ninth and Bridger, beautiful, beautiful church made in the southwest adobe style. A beautiful church, building. And it had a dynamic congregation. Ah, but that church too is sold, and now the city of Las Vegas owns it, and it's a community center. And the story happens all across the United States. What time isn't there? <laughs> okay. One minute to twelve? No. No? <laughs> oh, my. <I> <laughs> well, let's move on. So churches that please God. Churches that please God include these biblical characteristics. Now, these aren't all of them. These are these are general. But they pretty much cover everything, and you can have more specifics. Okay? Churches that please God include several biblical characteristics. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ is loved and worshipped. Love Jesus and worship Him. Secondly, the Word of God is loved, respected, honored, and proclaimed truthfully. There are some preachers, they want to apologize for... For some of the things that are said in the Bible. I'm not going to apologize. This is God's word. Amen. We don't apologize for that. We're to share it in love. And in truth that it's to be. Number three. Empowered by God the Holy Spirit. God hasn't given us the spirit of timidity. And of, and of, of fear. But of power. Power. And the church is to be empowered by God the Holy Spirit in its prayer life and in every ministry. That means that the church understands and works to fulfill the Father's mission to reach the lost and to minister to the saved. That's the mission of the church. To be engaged in ministry. Remember that the church is not a social club. Yeah, we gather together as a corporate body, but we're not a social club. We are the army of the Lord. The army of the Lord, and the army of the Lord is to be on the offensive. We're to be storming the gates of hell. That is, we're to be taking the message of Christ out into the world. And then every church and individual Christian must guard against becoming lukewarm. Success, growth, possessions, etc. are blessings that can lead to pride, and apathy like there in Laodicea. We want to be Philadelphia. Phil, right? Love. Adelphoi, the brother brotherly love. We're to be taking the love of God out into the world. So the last statement: give your heart, your life, your past, your present, and future to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Be forgiven. Be restored and saved. God promises his paradise for those who love him. There's a passage over in the book of Deuteronomy, I wanted to read it. Basically, what it says is, and it's in its specific context, Moses is speaking to the Israelites as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. But it, it carries also the general principle that is true for everyone. He says, now when you, when you go into the land and you build homes and you plant your crops and you become successful and the Lord blesses you and you become wealthy and your gold and your silver increase and in your goods, don't forget God. Don't forget that it is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth, to be successful. Because if you you forget and you begin to look to yourself and turn to other gods, the Lord will hold you accountable and he will remove you from the land. And what do we know about Israel's experience? You see, success and all these things, yeah, they're great. But not if those blessings cause a person to become apathetic and lukewarm in their relationship with the Lord. They can be taken at any time. But here's the wonderful thing God wants to bless His children. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I've decided to follow Jesus. You come, walk down that aisle and give your heart and your life to Him. Give your heart to Him. Why don't you say, why walk down the aisle? Jesus went to the cross for you. Settle it in your heart to come forward and declare that you've accepted Jesus, that you've given your life to Him. And your life will never be the same. Let's stand, please, as we sing.